0: Hey guys, Reed Goossens here. Now, before we dive into today's show, I quickly wanna tell you about some exciting things happening in 2018. Now, in a few months time, I will be launching my brand spanking new book, appropriately titled, Investing in the US, The Ultimate Guide to US Real Estate. And it is all the best bits from this show transformed into a book. Now. As you are all loyal listeners on this show, we are doing a pre-launch book giveaway. So, what you have to do in order to participate in this pre-launch book giveaway is just shoot me an email. It's pretty simple. At info, that's I-N-F-O at readgoosons.com. And in the subject line, you can put the words Kraken book. And in return, I will shoot you back A link where you can go and pre-order your copy of my new book now remember in that link there will be an area where you can put the code kraken c-r-a-c-k-i-n and that will enable you to get a discount i want to thank you all for tuning in the reason why i do this show is because of my loyal listeners and this is a way of me giving back to you guys by helping you you can pre-order the book and get it for free before we launch in a couple of months time all right now back into the show
1: Well, I think, I think listen to the noise and then go to those areas that the noise tells you to stay away from, honestly. And it doesn't mean invest there because sometimes the noise is correct, right? Sometimes that bad neighborhood is truly bad, but then just go out to the fringes and just kind of work your way around it and try to find that neighborhood where you go. There's no, this is not bad. And then you can start talking to the people that live there, talking to the people that are, you know, own a shop there, you can kind of tell.
0: Welcome to Investing in the US, an Aussie's Guide to US Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately created extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find this show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week all right enough out of me let's get cracking and into today's show I show the pleasure of speaking with Todd Dexheimer. Todd is a CEO of Venture D Properties, and he started investing way back in 2008, mainly focused on single family and small multi-family flipping. Since then, Todd has purchased and renovated over 500 units. He has completed over 150 flips, including a 20-unit mobile home park, a ski resort, and a 15-unit apartment complex, whilst using the profits to build his own rental portfolio. Currently, Todd owns approximately 350 units located in Minneapolis, Milwaukee, Cincinnati, and Lexington, Kentucky. His focus is on syndicating large value-add multifamily in emerging markets across the United States. To top it all off, Todd is also the host of an up-and-coming new podcast called Pillars of Wealth Creation, which you can find on iTunes or wherever you podcast. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show, but enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Todd. Welcome
1: to the show. How are you doing today, mate? I am doing excellent. Appreciate you having me on.
0: Hey man, absolute pleasure. I know you and my business partner, Andrew, have an awesome multifamily mastermind call once a month, I believe it is, and he was telling me a lot yeah. about you. So I thought, why not? We've got to get you on the show because I want to pick your brain and uh, and get get to know Todd a little bit more. But before we do, can you rewind the clock and take us all the way back and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid? <laughs>
1: So my first ever dollar as a kid, I think, was probably made mowing lawns. I started a, a business called uh, Todito. and it was my buddy. We his nickname was Dito, and so we combined our names, and that was our <laughs> lawn mowing business. And I think, I think he mowed like a half a lawn, and I mowed about uh, maybe a handful of them, and that was that was our business.
0: Toddito, so T-O-D-D-I-T-O right? right. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I, I, it's such a great way of making money in the summer, right? Because yeah. uh, you, you're you're based in, where did you say you're based?
1: So I'm based in, in Minneapolis. So we have about three months of lawn mowing. That's about <laughs> it. But it's perfect because it's actually during our school break. So
0: Right, well, as they say, make uh, make hay while the sun shines, right yeah. <laughs> but but walk us through your journey of how you got involved in real estate investing. I'm assuming you weren't just born into the sport of real estate investing, so how did you get involved?
1: yeah, um so yeah, I, I it was definitely not born in there. I was a high school uh, industrial tech teacher and knew that's not what I was going to do the rest of my rest of my life, so I had to figure out what to do I started reading books, and uh, I just kind of happened on. I was always wanting to do something more like entrepreneurial and uh, I just happened upon some real estate books and thought, man, this is, this is great. I think I could do this and just kept on reading and learning. And at the same time, the market had crashed, uh, just crashed. Uh, So that was like 2008 in the U S everything went down. Everybody was running scared. I was super naive uh, I didn't know any better. All's I knew was that when I'm looking at these houses and going, man, I can buy a house or a duplex for between 60 and $80,000 and I can rent them for, you know, 12 to 1500 bucks, the numbers make sense. And so being naive was great. It allowed me to get into the properties and uh, buy at a, at a fantastic time where Again, most people were telling me I was crazy, but it just made so much sense. So
0: that's awesome. Walk me through the mindset change that you had to go through because you, you mentioned you're a high school teacher. My parents are both high school teachers. Uh, <laughs> my dad was the deputy principal of my high school growing up. So I know what it's like to have uh, a parent <laughs> coming through the high school system. But, you know, it's such a different way of thinking. And, yeah. and how did you, you know, did you get sick of it? I, I, I know a lot of teachers are very passionate about teaching kids. Um, but there's also that that sort of the financial aspect of it, which you know, teachers don't get paid a ton of money and they get paid what? even less here in the United States. So mm-hmm. how do you how do you how do you how do you sort of grapple with that?
1: Yeah, um so I, I think I was, you know, I was always wanting to do so I, I did the the lawn mowing thing when I was a kid. I I uh did some I made custom boxes for my dad's manufacturing company. He didn't own it, he worked there. Um, so I did all these little odd things and I, uh, would, I was working construction, putting myself through college, but I would take side jobs. And so I always kind of liked that idea of being independent, Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it was like teaching just wasn't for me. It just didn't click. It was, there was some things that I liked. I liked the interaction with the kids that cared to be there. Uh, I enjoyed that. I, but I just didn't like the stuffy kind of school system. It just wasn't me. So I wanted to find something else. I was actually going to become a doctor. And I thought, boy, I really don't want to go to school for, you know, all these more years. And, you know, that's going to take forever. And then I'm stuck in this job. And so it was really just reading books. I think that just was like, really, there's this other life out there. I don't have to be an employee like i don't have to be stuck in a stuffy classroom or in a stuffy uh you know clinic or (laughs) anything like that and so i that was honestly really it books were my mentor books were the what what was like slapped me in the face and said look you can do something else in life
0: right No, And I think that's, but it's the hunger of wanting to learn more, right? Not everyone just born with just like, oh, I'm going to go out and figure this out. It's sort of, I'm in a safe job. I've got a 401k and people just like, just just go through the motions and just think this is, this is what I'm going to do for the next 40 years of my life. It's, you know, there's
1: more to life than that, right? Yeah. For me, it was, I don't know, for, for whatever reason, it was never about like the safety thing. Like I, I knew I could always you can always make a dollar. Right. And, and I, so I knew like, that was pretty, for me, common sense. I, I don't know why, but it just was. And I think there was just that desire of like, look, I'm not gonna, I, after my very first year teaching, or maybe it was even during my first year of teaching, I remember telling my wife, like, I got to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. Cause it's not, it's not teaching. So it was very quickly. I was like, I gotta figure this out. This is not it. I just went to school for four years. Five years, actually. Don't, don't tell anybody. Five <laughs> years On a four year school. Um, and, and it just wasn't for me. And it was like, I, I got to make a change. You know, a lot of people will get caught up in, oh, I went to school for four years, so I got to stay in my career. It just, for me, it wasn't worth it.
0: That's, and you're so right. Like, I went to school for civil engineering, right? And we're forced as, you know, this society of you're 17, 18 years old coming out of high school, like, what do you want to be? What do you want to be? What do you want to be? It's like, yeah. Your kids, but kids, right? Everyone's right. kids. And just <laughs> like, I don't know what the hell I want to be. And people are so stressed about yeah. like being put into a pigeonhole of like, this is what you got to do for the rest of your life. Get a job and be safe and play it safe and get a wife and, you know, get kids and the house and all the kit and caboodle. And then to go and like throw that away, particularly after you've done four years and you probably have, you know, debt and, and all those other stresses that you yeah. think I've got to stay here and I've got to make it work. Otherwise all these things are going to happen and it's these stories that we tell each other I tell ourselves that are just like, there's more to life. Right. And, and it's awesome that to hear that even coming through the high school system and being a teacher, you know, that there was more to life than just, you know, grinding, punching the clock and doing nine to five. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the easiest uh, things and was, I was making $30,000 a year as a teacher. So it's not like I was making a lot of money. Right. 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 So right. It's not like it was like, Oh, I got to lose, you know, lose this cushy job. Uh, it was gotta <laughs> get rid of this thirty thousand dollars job. That it's
0: know. sort of it's it's sort of like the well, I'm only at thirty thousand bucks. How far, How much more can I fall? But <laughs> yeah. right? it's not as if I'm at three hundred thousand and I've got to come right. down. To, to, yeah, no, I get it, totally get it. So, <laughs> so, so walk me through that first ever deal. Were you doing that whilst being a teacher? Yeah, um, you were okay.
1: Yeah, so I was I was still teaching. Uh, so I don't know my first deal. It was I did three deals all at once. Uh, all within like a, a month time, so I did a flip. Mm-hmm. I bought my first rental, and my wife and I bought a I think people call it house hacking now we lived in we lived in the property and basically fixed it up while we yep. were living there and, and then sold it and you know made some basically flipped it while we were living in it. So we bought those three all at the same time do you want to talk about like a yeah. particular one or yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Like the, the walk in to talk me about like how you found that first deal, because mm. you mentioned earlier in the piece that there were, you know, you, you, you sort of timed the market, you know, coincidentally that it was sort of at a cheaper, right. uh, you know, properties. And, 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 you know, when I first moved to the United States in 2012, I also noticed how cheap properties were just compared to yeah. Australia. It's just like the barriers to entry is so much lower. Yeah. Um, so, did you have to go in, you know, when you did your house hacking, was it in a ba- worse neighborhood than what you were used to? Like, how did you sort of grapple with all that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah, sure. So, no, I, I did not buy in a worse neighborhood. It was definitely a different neighborhood than I was used to because I grew up in the suburbs, you know, where, you know, everybody is looks the same and talks the same. And has, <laughs> yeah. So, I, the first house I bought was in the city. So, it was definitely a different uh, demographic uh, than I was used to, but it, but it was not a bad neighborhood by any means. However, it was funny because you talk about the difference of, of what people's opinions are. People that live in the city that they don't necessarily, this is maybe going on a tangent, but they don't necessarily understand the city that they're investing in oftentimes because people think that they, Oh, I've lived here all my life. I know it. But mm-hmm. That's not the case. So when I was looking at my, I'll just talk about the the house that we lived in. Um, When we bought there, people told us we had a lot of people that said, "Don't move there. Like that's a terrible place. Don't a terrible area. Don't move there." And and we, you know, it's like that doesn't make any sense. We're walking around. It's like it's super. It's nice. There's shops. There's like it's really kind of trendy area. And so we just kind of ignored the, the noise around it and moved in. And that that was the case. It was super nice. But back in like the 1990s, it was one of the worst neighborhoods in the, in the city. So people don't understand their own city that they live in. So that's that's something when you're investing, like you've got to get beyond the noise and actually learn the neighborhoods you're investing. And that was same thing with the rental. So the first rental I bought, uh bought that for... I think $60,000 and it was in our neighborhood called North Minneapolis, the North side and the North Minneapolis is where all the, the, the murders are and you know, all the crime happens. That's the D neighborhood. However, that's only a small section of North Minneapolis and where I bought was on like the very upper part of North and it's actually a pretty nice neighborhood. I would live there, but the noise told you, don't even think about it. Like don't do it. You know, everybody's yep. so so but it was boots on the ground, like getting to know these neighborhoods, looking at the crime maps and going, Well, really, what I don't know what people are talking about. This is really good. And that was the same thing about like just buying, period. People are like, Don't buy real estate, it's crazy or stupid. And I'm going, Well, I can buy a house for sixty thousand dollars and can rent for fourteen hundred. Doesn't seem stupid to me. Like, I'm gonna buy it. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. No, you yeah, know, I think move above the noise and, and people are so fixated on the blinker system, right? They've got these blinkers on and they just, oh, I've lived here all my life and that's always been a bad neighborhood. Well, you know, the fact is cost of living's going up and you've got to find new neighborhoods to live in. That's called gentrification, right? And that's sort of, you know, you, you might've been above uh, in front of the curve. Uh, how, how have those houses gone since then? I'm assuming we're now, what, in 2018, so we're nearly 10 years later. I'm yeah. I, I, I assuming pretty well, right?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I I I actually own a couple in the neighborhood that I live in still. Um, Those, so I the first the first house that I bought that my wife and I lived in, we we sold, and then we bought another one just in the same block and did the same thing with, and we sold that. So I think the first house we bought for like 140,000. The second house when we sold it, we sold it for like almost 350, and now it's probably closer to 400 easily.
0: Wow. Wow. And that's in what a, what a nine to 10 year uh, yeah. horizon, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So all, all those, all those haters out there were telling you, don't, <laughs> don't move into those neighborhoods. It's like, Hey man, the proof's in the pudding. I can't, what can I say? So
1: yeah. And quite frankly, um, if we, if we would have kept that house, which I, I was actually tempted to the second house that we did, um, I think, in I think in another 10 years, it'll be easily over 500,000. The neighborhood just wow. keeps on getting better. Wow. I'm getting better,
0: and better. That's a, that's a huge lesson for anyone listening out there. It's like, I know you, you time the market well, but in terms of growth, um, what, what advice can you give to those people who may be affected by the noise when looking to get in their first deal?
1: Well, I think, I think listen to the noise and then go to those areas that the noise tells you to stay away from, honestly. Yep. And it doesn't mean invest there because sometimes the noise is correct, right? right? Sometimes that bad neighborhood is truly bad, but then just go out to the fringes and just kind of work your way around it and try to find that neighborhood where you go, there's no, this is not bad. And then you can start talking to the people that live there, talking to the people that are, you know, own a shop there. You can kind of tell, you know, like this neighborhood that I lived in, it was there's all these trendy bars and restaurants and stuff like that moving in. And so you could tell, you could really see it. And like literally right now, a a block from where I live, they're building a brand new mixed use, beautiful building, Uh, two blocks, three blocks from there, they're building another really nice building. So stuff like that is happening. That's, I would say, listen to the noise and then go hunt where the noise tells you to stay away from. Love it. And it doesn't, like I said, doesn't mean buy there because sometimes the noise is right. So you still got to do your, your homework, but uh, that's oftentimes where there's great, great opportunity.
0: That's that's really good advice. Listen to the noise, go there and check it out for yourself. And uh, and I assume, you know, just by what you're what you saying is look for the trends, look for those trendy bars, try to look for, you know, um, things that are changing in the neighborhood. Do you have any other tips of what you'd like to look for when you go into a noise related area
1: <laughs> yeah i would say a huge one is are there are there art studios like do you are there art kids any any time you see like that are there the you know kind of the like the edgy type uh, yep. young hipster kids the outcasts mm-hmm.
0: of the school right
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you're seeing them there there's a good chance that that neighborhood's gonna gentrify it's funny but that's that's that happens i got another property in a different neighborhood it's exactly the same way i wish i would have bought a thousand of them there it's right just right. crazy
0: espresso bars and yoga studios right <laughs> <laughs> that's probably it's probably gone too far the other way if, if that's the point if you're getting yoga pants coming around that's it's gone right
1: probably when it gets yeah that is already too too late but yeah i mean that's look look for just little keys like just that little stuff where you go oh okay and you know what here's the thing Here's my philosophy is if you find a neighborhood and you kind of see that trend happening and you buy there and you miss and it doesn't go that way, as long as you bought right, you're going to be okay. If you bought for cash flow, if you if you follow the fundamentals of real estate investing, if you buy for cash flow, uh, not just appreciation and you manage right and do all that kind of stuff. Maybe it's not going to be a home run that you thought it was, but at least you're going to get out with some cash flow um, and eventually you're going to be able to just get out and be just fine. So.
0: And, and I think the big thing is everyone tries to look for that home run. And we're talking about, you know, in your case, it's gone from 60,000 to 300 to potentially now even over half a million bucks in 10 years. That's a home run, but it's not all about home runs. It's also about just getting on base, right? Yes. Just base hits. And, and, yes. and you, you may choose a neighborhood that's not gonna give you a home run, but it's giving you a couple of base hits and giving you, you know, money in your pocket that you can potentially quit your day job because become financially free. That's that's a win in, that's a win in my book, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's
1: all, it's all, you still have to follow the, like I said, you still have to follow the fundamentals of real estate investing. Like if yeah. you don't, you could get lucky, but eventually, you're going to get burned and, and, you know, potentially lose it all. So right, right.
0: So, mate, in in the green room before we started recording, I, I asked you what you're most passionate about when it comes to real estate investing, and you said the the chase. And I, I've written it down here: the chase of the deals. So. Walk me through how how you have evolved as a real estate entrepreneur and investor since way back when you were a school teacher to what you are now and how that chase has changed for you in terms of maybe your systems or what you look at because we've talked a little bit about like the neighborhoods and what you're you're, you're identifying, but now what you know what gets gets you out of bed and what are the juices that 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 the chase enables you to get excited about?
1: Um, yeah, that's a big question. There's there's a sure. lot. There. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, prior prior to it was just like I'm just looking for properties that make sense and whatever, and 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 there wasn't a ton of method to the madness. It was just does this thing cash flow, and that was honestly the almost the only thing. And is it am I going to get shot there or not? You know, I, I didn't <laughs> <get shot. laughs> so that that was like the major thing. Now I'm I'm looking at more the whole picture of the property of the city of the you know what is going on. I'm looking at. Um, you know, the jobs that are coming in, how many jobs are coming in, the type of jobs that are coming in, what they're paying, what position they are, uh, you know, what's the, what's the growth and where are the growth trends? Every city has growth trends, right? Every, every single city is growing, you know, from, from downtown out to the West, or maybe from the West into the downtown or, or whatever. Every city has got the major growth corridors. And then it's got some other corridors that maybe are growing too, but not to to an ex, as much of an extent. So, so where are the growth corridors? You really want to try to focus on those. Um, and then where are the opportunity corridors too? That, that's the other thing. Sometimes the growth corridors, maybe the opportunity, everybody knows too much about it already and, and you can try to pin into something else that has some opportunity. And it really depends on how much, you know, what, what what's your investment strategy too? Is it is it just, hey, I'm going to, come in and make cash flow? Or do I, do I want to have potential home runs knowing that at least I'm going to get base hits? And and that's kind of what I look at. I I want potential home runs knowing that I'm going to for sure get a base hit at some point. Right. Yeah. I mean, like I said, every time, every time I buy, I look at the fundamentals of real estate What what am I going to buy? And, and I'm trying to buy in those neighborhoods that I could, if everything goes right, have this great home run grand slam, you know, but if it doesn't happen, I'm still happy, completely happy with my real estate investment. So, um, so that's kind of you know the the change in the models. And we we look, I look a lot at uh, you know rent affordability now compared to uh, you know the market. Can can my tenants actually afford to live there? If I'm going to be you know raising rents, is that going to put pressure on, on them too much to where if a recession hits, they're not going to be able to afford the place? all that kind of stuff. So, um, I don't know, did that answer your question? No,
0: no, that's, that's great. It's, it's <laughs> completely great. Um, but what I, I want to now dive into a little bit about your, your tapestry of skills, right? You've, you've started, I mentioned in the beginning, you start, you started up with single family. Yeah. You're now into multifamily. You've done a ski resort. I'd love to, I'd love to ask a little bit about how, what, 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 what did you do there? But <laughs> the different, you know, tools you now have developed in your, in your tool bag over the years, um, what are you are you looking just for one specific thing or are you looking to do a little bit of flipping still a little bit of multi or, or what where's the strategy moving to in the next say 5 to 10 years
1: Yeah so I I don't really I'm not looking to do flipping um if I had a flip opportunity I would I would potentially take it but I would have a partner that was going to be involved in the whole thing uh so I I definitely am not into the flipping game anymore it just wasn't what I, it just wasn't where I wanted to be. Actually, honestly, never really was. I did it out of necessity. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we can talk about that, but (laughs) Uh, so, yeah. So right now the main focus is multifamily syndication. Um, And then it's also building a business that's more vertically integrated where I've got all the systems in place where I'm trying to build things that are going to feed off of each other. Uh, in, in the multifamily syndication space, so um, that's, that's, that's awesome. What,
0: what sort of what sort of things are you doing to make it more vertically integrated or, or create that ecosystem of businesses to be complementary to one another?
1: Sure. So, like right now, um, I've 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 always had it uh, a construction business, but I've never really ramped it up. So right now, I'm ramping up the construction business very very systematically. Though I don't I don't want to be involved in most of the day to day. Uh, because I want to be involved day to day in finding multifamily and, and still the multifamily, but I'm building teams out to be able to have that as part of the system. It, it, with with real estate, you know, with the economy, I should say, with anything business, it's cyclical, right? And so what I want to find and, and what I'm working on is businesses that complement the whole picture, which is multifamily you know, acquisition and, and, and operation. But I want to find and develop businesses that work well in different market cycles. For instance, when's the best time to buy multifamily? Well, there's, you know, you could buy in any part of the cycle and I still do, but the best time to buy is, is at the bottom of the cycle. Uh, When's the best time to be a contractor? Well, the best time is at the top of the cycle. So, those are two businesses that work well with each other. Where when I'm in full, like full blown acquisition mode, trying to buy every single piece of property that hits the market, that's going to be at the down cycle. My construction company is going to feed into that and, and be working on those properties. Where when we're slowing down cash flowing, but maybe not buying as many deals, um, my construction company is going to be really ramped up and working on more retail stuff. And so just things that kind of ebb and flow with each other and, and consistently work in all kinds of market cycles.
0: No, that's, that's, you bring up a really good point and something that I'm hugely passionate about, which is business ecosystems and vertically integrated, you know, some of the stuff we do, I think Andrew might've spoken to you about, you know, we've just, Got a whole shipment from China of all this stuff that we just bought, you know, because we want to go to Home Depot. But with your construction um, management or sorry, construction company, maybe walk me through what what team are you setting up in order to be profitable, and how are you paying yourself right now on your current deals um, in order to 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 keep mouths fed and food on the table for for essentially your employees, because that's that's what you're getting into, right? You're getting into Uh, potentially a liability that you've got payroll to to make (laughs) if you have a construction management company?
1: Yeah. So starting out, most of it's going to be not employees. The construction industry is really good because you can have a lot of subcontractors. So most of them are going to start out as as subcontractors. You already do have a few employees, um, but you know, most of that's going to be subcontractors Um, and then commission based. So, I'm going to have real estate agents, uh, involved, um, because we're going to be, our niche is, um, working with home owners that are going to be selling their house, whether it's tomorrow or maybe a year down the road, whatever it is, but we're working with them to maximize the value of their home. Um, so it's going to be realtors that are going to be involved in, in helping, you know, sell the, the, the business and then uh the so the, really the only i shouldn't say the only but the main person that i'm gonna to have to worry about can we take care of is going to be the the estimator um and kind of the person that's going to be going to the job giving the exact price and then making sure the material the so project manager whatever you want to call it. right um so that's the main person that's going to be involved in the business now again this is like it pretty infancy stages so i haven't completely decided exactly how I want to do it, whether it's some commission along with some salary or or exactly how we're going to do it. But yeah, that's an important thing. And that's, that's what I think about a lot is I don't want to just hire somebody day one to be paying them, you know, $70,000 a year salary. And then all of a sudden have no work coming in. Right. So, so you've got to be careful with, you know, how you start that business when you've got an employee that you almost need to write away. Right right
0: well I think the the, the big thing and, and definitely something we've focused or looking at spoken about and looked at because of my construction background like I know that I'm paying a GC right now and I'm probably paying him a little bit too much you know he's making money off me but yeah do I want to go out and um, hire an employee straight away and I think the way that I've thought about it or strategized is like okay, I've got enough volume or, you know, as maybe you do to get them started cutting their teeth on the multifamily stuff, you know, where it can just be like, okay, you're, you're just going to be a project manager on site, make sure the GC comes up and does his work. And then from there, potentially wheel them off into this new biz, which is, you know, talking about commission based and and, and helping sellers yeah. with, and maybe that's a good just stepping stone, rather than just like, oh gosh, I've got the seventy-five thousand dollar employee, I've got no work for him to do right this second. So yeah, maybe yeah. something like that. Is is that are you? Do you have active projects with your multifamily stuff that he could, or he or she could 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 jump right into right now?
1: You know, so most of my multifamily right now, the acquisitions are mostly out of state. But, um, uh, I do have some projects, you know, that like I'm selling some of my properties, or we're always 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 doing some renovations to them. Uh, so we do have always some work. Uh, but yeah, the, the key for me right now with uh, this whole business uh, model is I want I'm really focusing on building a business that can be sellable in the future mm-hmm. and can sustain without me. Um, because I, I, to me that's that's like the most important part. when I built my I started my real estate business, that wasn't even a thought like it was just I was hammering through it. but I think as as you grow, it's uh, how can I build this thing to be an asset in the future, you know? And so with this construction company, it's, you know, most construction companies out there, I bet 99% of them, they can never sell. They're worth they're worth what their equipment's worth, honestly.
0: Yeah. yeah. Or, or, or what the main project manager's worth, right? Like if that, he goes somewhere else, he's, your business is useless.
1: That, that's just it, you know? And so you want to build a business that can be, so that somebody could just come in and buy and they don't have to be the one keeping the wheels spinning. That business is already spinning. So if you could have revenue coming in without the CEO being in, uh, involved, that's the, to me, the best way to build that business. It's, it's a great business model and it's, it's that residual income that we always talk about and want. So.
0: Yep. Yep. So, so what strategies have you been thinking about to try and, Create that foundation of that business in order to have that future goal of selling it in ten 15 years time
1: yeah, so I mean for, first it comes down to people you know who are the people it, that you can put in place and then it's also the processes you know what kind of processes can we put in place so everything that I'm going to do today is going to be completely written down into job descriptions and all that kind of stuff. So what are the people and the processes I think is is really really critical to you know, how you're going to do it. Um, and then and then obviously the vision behind the company is, is extremely important too. I think that's going to drive um, the whole business. So I, I think, you know, those are probably the biggest key critical factors um, coming into it. Obviously there's lots of little nuances. I mean, I've got like pages. I like to write everything down instead yep. of typing. So I've got like pages and pages of like chicken scratches I can, you know, kind of go through. But it's like... <laughs> I've got flow charts of, you know, how are we going to do, who are the people involved? You know, what are their tasks and how are they, how is everything going to kind of flow together to make it uh, profitable? And I think it's a really important exercise to anybody doing, whether they're wanting to get in the multifamily or really anything, uh, any kind of real estate or any kind of businesses, you know, what's this thing going to look like from a, from a high level all the way down to the, the low level?
0: Yeah, no, I think it's incredibly important to write that stuff down. And because, you know, you're figuring it out, I'm figuring it out, we're all sort of as entrepreneurs just figuring it out, right? We don't know the answers straight away uh so the thing is sort of you 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 try and strategize as best you can then give it a crack and you'll learn along the way and as all of a sudden it starts like that snowball going down the hill and it gets into hopefully something that you can sell and or or even just step away from in the future and he's not reliant upon you steering the ship that's uh it's pretty pretty freaking awesome um wanted to quickly dive into your ski resort i just noticed on your on the notes how did you come across this this ski resort and and i take it you're a skier yourself and, and 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 walk us through that story
1: so I am a skier myself, but it has nothing to do with the, the, how, how, how we found the ski resort. So actually, so I used to have a business partner. And, uh, so both of us are, are big, uh, into, into hunting, deer hunting. And uh-huh. so he was actually walking another property that, uh, he had some hunting rights on and, and stumbled across this property and noticed like all the deer were at this property. So he went to talk to the property owner and, uh, and as he was like going to this owner's place. He's like, this is like this huge, like resort thing. There's chairlifts everywhere. Like what's going on. And so then he's talked, talks to this guy and it talks to him about the hunting, but then talks to him about this property. And, and so that's kind of how, honestly, how it came about, um, just ended mm-hmm. up stumbling on this property and it was perfect timing. The guy had advertised it for sale a long, long time ago for, for a lot more than what we ended up buying for. It was perfect timing because, uh, this is just how things work in, in real estate and, and why it's like important to constantly be on top of things and constantly like never give up on a deal because so this, this guy drove his, was driving his mom to the mail Clinic, which is close by this property. It's a, it's a big hospital. People haven't heard of the mail Clinic. And uh, anyway, so he's driving her there and they drive by this barn and it's like falling down, the roofs, everything's decayed. And she goes, oh, it's so sad. I remember that barn when it was really nice. And, and he looks at her and goes, mom, that's gonna be, that's gonna be our place. You know, that's this ski this resort. That's gonna be our place soon. And she's like, you're right, let's sell it. <laughs> so that was like a day before we walked in and started talking to this guy. That's awesome. So it was like that's perfect awesome. timing. Uh, ended, up, ended up working a deal with this guy. Uh, and then bought the property with $0 out of our pocket. We got a bank to finance 100% of the purchase because we bought it. I can't remember the exact price. Let's call it four fifty. dollars uh, wow. It appraised for $900,000, wow. Nine, $975,000 or something like that. So, so that's incredible. Buying
0: it, yeah. And is this a fully functioning resort now? Is it, yeah. you so, ski so and I've, got black runs and all that sort of stuff?
1: So it's, it's a Minnesota resort. Okay. So if, if anybody's been to Minnesota, you, you know, we don't have mountains here. Uh, so it's, it's a little like hills. So in the mountains, this would be like a bunny hill. Got it. Okay. Um, but, but for Minnesota people, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, uh, it was not operating. It had all the lifts still there It had all the stuff, the pumps, everything to, to make snow, all that stuff, but it hadn't been running for about five years. So everything was gonna need a lot of service and a lot of work. And that's why we got it for such a good price. The, the, the building was was not falling apart, but was gonna be soon. The roof needed to be replaced like day one. Mm-hmm. Other siding needed a lot of attention. A lot of stuff needed attention. So uh, from day one, we had to put some money into it. Not a ton, uh, but just some major like things that would be happening to the property soon if, if we didn't touch it. So. Uh, but yeah, we never actually got it operational. Uh, mm-hmm. before we did that, we ended up selling it. So we, we flipped it. Uh, wow. Basically. Yeah. So is,
0: is it now operational or is it something completely different?
1: So now the, the guy, he's actually doing really good. He actually invited me down there. We might go down there this weekend. Um, he's got a, uh, he's got a wedding and event center out of mm-hmm. the, the old ski resort. He made it really nice and, uh, he's doing really well. He's can charge a lot of money for these weddings. And they, he's got, I think he's got one ski lift operational. So people come there, they get to ride the lift, like the bride and groom ride the lift and, uh, you know, take pictures and stuff. And, and, uh, he holds races there and, uh, he's got like, a uh, this weekend he's got some, you know, four wheeler race thing going on there. so he does all kinds of stuff like that. And he's, he's, Toyed with the idea of getting a ski resort up, but it just, in Minnesota, they don't make a lot of money.
0: Right, right. So. Yeah, how, I could imagine a ski resort, you know, I've been to many of them, and just, it's very heavily operationally expensive. You've got a lot of employees to make it work, a lot yeah. of marketing dollars to make it cool and hip and all that sort of stuff, and yeah. build a half pipe and all that jazz, you know, to get, you know, get people in the door and, you know, get liquor licenses, and it's the whole shebang. But um, yeah. how many acres was it?
1: Oh, I think it's 172.
0: Oh wow, so it's a, it's a, it's a it's a decent size. It's not small. decent size, yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic.
1: Well mate, look, I really
0: appreciate you coming on the show to to share your insights, but um before we before we part ways, are you ready to give me your top 5 investing tips? Uh, yeah, I'm going to walk you through them. What is the daily habit you practice to keep on track to look your goals?
1: Yeah, um, there's a few things, but I, I guess one of the main things would be I I time block. So mm-hmm. every, everything is, is written down. I mean, I've got my calendar. I write it down, you know, by the hour or whatever it is. And so everything's very time blocked, and I do for, I do sometimes get messed up off that time, but I try to keep to it as much as I can and and really focus on my day. So that would be one of them. The other thing that I've done is um, I've now, I, re, I read the, the book called The 12 Week Year, I think it's called, and yeah. uh, you read that?
0: I haven't read but I've heard of it.
1: So it's great. And so now that's how everything's blocked out is, is, is my year is 12 weeks. And so I have my set you know goals and everything on my time block, everything on my week is based on achieving my 12, my, my year my 12 weeks my so so it's just that mind shift change of because uh, because you know you get all these big year goals and, and it's so easy to put them to the side because shoot January first is a long time from January 1st you know the next year <laughs> right so it's like it's easy to it's easy to push them off and with 12 weeks uh, it's just a lot quicker and, and you've got to hold yourself more accountable and only focus that, that's the other thing focus on just a couple things. Because in 12 weeks, we know we can't achieve like everything. So let's just focus on a few things.
0: And it's, I think it's really important to, and I, I'm, I'm a victim to it. You know, you set these goals out and then they just end up all dragging out for like uh, 12 months or longer. You know, you just got to yeah. get in and get it done. It forces you to like, come on, get, get, it, get it done and don't be shiny object syndrome. And like, oh, well, there's that thing I could start. or There's that thing I could start, you know, yeah. Being, yeah. being really, really focused. Uh, second question, who is the most influential person in your career to date?
1: Boy, I, that that one's tough. I mean, as far as I, I, I got to say, my wife. I mean, she's she's been like a complete blessing on on me. She's allowed she allowed me to you know quit my job and and just supported me there and uh, you know takes care of the kids when when I need her to. She's just just an awesome support. So she's she's got to be the number one. That's uh, oh. awesome. Yeah, That's for awesome. sure.
0: Uh, what is the most influential tool in your real estate business, whether it be software or a hardware that, you know, you really can't not have in your day-to-day business?
1: Wow. That's a tough one. Um,
0: I've had people say like their phone because their phone is always (laughs) ringing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes that's a nuisance though, isn't it? Yeah. Right. (laughs) Um, (sighs) You're kind of stumping me here, but I'm going to just, I'll come up with probably a better answer after we're done, but I'm just going to say, uh, you know, the, the, my, my syndicator, I guess, analysis spreadsheet, which is just an Excel document that I've created. um, But that I use that almost every single day because I'm underwriting deals all the time. So I would say that's been huge. Um, You know, uh, there's, there's, there's other things that are definitely helpful. Like MailChimp has been very helpful and, um, yeah I, I'm sure there's other things <laughs> no that, that's great Because no, I think having something
0: that is, is systemized and you understand it and and building out spreadsheets I know when I talk to guys about underwriting like I always encourage them to build their own spreadsheet because then they can understand the nuances of it um, and and then not, not just rely on someone else's spreadsheet That oh the numbers turn green so it means it's a good deal right <laughs> so I mean, it, it
1: yeah. yeah and you know why Right. right, and with your own spreadsheet, you know why.
0: You know where the, you know where the bugs are. You know how to find the bugs and right. you know weed them out and make sure. Okay, well, this is why my spreadsheet is flexing so hard or not flexing enough, and, and I can I can tweak it. So, uh, yeah. so good stuff. Um, who? What has been the biggest failure in your career to date, and what did you learn from that failure?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's been plenty of them. I'll. Uh, can I mention two?
0: Yeah, mention as many as you want. <laughs> All
1: right so one would be um trusting people and not putting things into contracts just trusting that everybody's good and i'm that's kind of who i am i just everybody to me is is good um but i i've got i've gotten burned on that i lost seventy thousand dollars on um a, a deal by not by just trusting somebody and and not actually getting it into, into writing. So that would be number one. Number two is, um, not going big sooner. 100%. So,
0: and that does that just mean to transition into syndication or from a yeah, single family?
1: Right. Transitioning into multifamily, multifamily syndication. It, it honestly, like, you know, things are good. Right. And, and I enjoy my life and, and I enjoy my business and, but looking back, it's like, Hey, you didn't need to take the training wheels off. You know, after I I rolled my training wheels for, you know, eight years, I didn't need to wait eight years to, you know, take them off.
0: It's hindsight, man. So you always beat yourself up. You're the, sometimes we are wearing a worst enemy, right?
1: Right. And I don't, I don't know necessarily that I beat myself up. I just beat myself, sorry, (laughs) beat myself up. Uh, (laughs) um, You know, it's just like, it's a lesson I've now learned moving forward of, Hey, you know, you don't have to wait forever to graduate like the next time or the next, like this, I, I'm looking at this construction business. Like I'm not going to start little. That's mm-hmm. it's not even full. like, that's not even, if I'm going to start little I'm not going to do it. So right. now it's like, okay, let's look at the whole picture. And so it made me just, not that I regret it, but it made me learn like you don't need, To wait forever to get started, to get to where you want to be. Right.
0: I remember a mentor of mine saying to me, the traffic lights are not always going to be green at the same time, right? And you can't always wait for that, for for the whole string of lights to be green to, okay, now I can go, right? Because there's, and, and, but, but on the same token is, you know, for those people listening out there who've never done it, Make sure you have the training wheels on for a little bit because otherwise you don't make a stupid mistake. Right. Um, it, it's just sort of that that fine line between not waiting too long, maybe in your case, uh, and then other people waiting going too quickly. But there's that there's that balance and understanding now that your mindset it's it's, it's fantastic. That as you said. It's I'm not gonna start this construction company if it's not worth my time getting out of bed. I'm not gonna go big straight away because what the hell? Why, why, why not aim for the stars? Right? Because if you fall short, then you still made a you did a pretty pretty bloody good job, right? <laughs> so yeah. Uh, mate, and last question for you: where can people reach you if they want to continue the conversation, they want to learn a little bit more about what you do and beat us in your sphere?
1: Uh yeah, so uh they can. You already mentioned the pillars of wealth creation. They can they can uh, check me out there, pillarsofwealthcreation.com, or go onto whatever iTunes, Stitcher, wherever they listen to this, um, and then uh, they can go onto my website. My website, my my business website is venturedproperties.com. is D as in Dexheimer or Dog. venturedproperties.com, and my email is Todd at todd@venturedproperties.com. Awesome stuff, man. Well, I want to thank you for dropping by
0: today. You certainly provided us some, some cracking information. And just some of the, the big three takeaways that I took away from this conversation today are, just to summarize, is I think the first one right at the beginning of the show when you said you can always make a dollar. And, and that mindset of ta- taking you out of teaching and knowing that you can always make a dollar or you have a, a fallback scenario. If I'm, you know, I think what, I, what I'm hearing from you is that you might, you want to give it a crack, Otherwise, rather than just sit there and, and, and you know play you know you know whatever whatever life it is you want to give it a go and if I, if you fail well I can always go back and make a dollar somewhere else. Um, the second one was move above the noise. I think that's so important when you're hunting for deals, uh, even when you're getting started. Like I'm sure people were sort of saying to you when you got started in real estate and quitting your jobs, like oh you don't want to quit your teaching job, you know the safe thing, you know blah blah blah. But moving above the noise and then going towards the noise in, when it comes to finding real estate deals and checking it out. For yourself Um, and then the last one I just did what you just said about the failure trusting people too quickly and not having it in writing I think a lot of people it's a commonality between a lot of entrepreneurs when they get started they're so focused on trying to you know get it going and get to the next point and and don't and, and and don't look at the small stuff which can hurt which can bite them in the in the butt, uh, you know, in in years to come if things uh, don't go well. So um did did I did I capture everything? Is that good?
1: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's good. All good. right, man. I, I love the uh I love the phrases you use, they're great. <laughs> C-
0: Kraken's a Kraken's a good one because I always uh, it's, it's a, you know Kraken deal and it's a you know very Australian but it, you know got to got to got to no. lean in when you can right. <laughs> no, let's go. Well, mate. Well, thank you so much for dropping by. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll catch up soon.
1: Absolutely appreciate you having me on.
0: Well, there you have it, guys. Another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Todd. Make sure you do check out uh, his podcast on iTunes and make sure you hit him up if you ever have any questions about getting started in multifamily syndication um, or if you want to ever buy a ski resort, You know, make sure you hit up Todd. He's probably the expert on, on buying ski resorts. Uh, you can also check out all the show notes on my website at reedgooseless.com. Thank you again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. And we're going to do it all again next week, so take care. Be safe. And remember, happy investing.